Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your word, we do so in the context of being your people whose sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Lord, for every one of us who is participating in this service, for every one of us who has repented of sin and placed our faith in you alone, our sin has been washed away. And Lord, if there are those who are participating in this service right now who have yet to repent of sin and who have yet to invite you, Jesus, to be their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, today, through your word and by your spirit, draw them unto yourself. We pray that today they would say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you, and I will follow you. Lord, for all of us, as we look to your word, as we prepare our hearts to receive this sacred meal of the Lord's Supper, we pray that you would transform us today by the renewing of our minds to make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. I've been doing a lot of driving lately, and one of the things that I continue to marvel at is the fact that on my phone, I can punch in my destination, and my phone will tell me exactly how to get where I'm going. It'll tell me the exact route to take. It'll tell me any uh, issues I may have along the way. It'll even tell me where police officers might be. Not that I need that information most of the time. But I want to ask a question, Um, do you ever fight with your GPS? Do you ever argue with your GPS? I'm looking at some of you. I know some of you argue with your GPS, and I'm watching some wives elbow their husbands right now because that that can happen. I I think there are two types of people who are GPS-using drivers. The first type recognizes that we live in an amazing day and age that when they put in the address and they hit find the route. They recognize that satellites are linking up in outer space, and they are doing sophisticated mathematical calculations, and they are taking into account all sorts of variables of which the driver is not aware, but they are using all of that information in a supercomputer that you carry in your pocket to give you the best journey that you can have to get you there as quickly as possible with as little delay as possible. And they believe it, and they follow the GPS. And then there are those of us who doubt the GPS. We know all those things are happening. Yes, satellites are linking up in outer space. Yes, the the GPS has access to information I can't possibly know about. They know things like traffic and, and, and wrecks and construction, and I don't care because I think I know better. I was trying to drive home from Owensboro the other night, and my GPS kept telling me to go a different direction, go a different direction, go a different direction, and I disagreed, so I went my direction. And it wasn't detrimental to the journey, but it did take me about five minutes longer to get home. So I had to learn the hard way. I had the information before me. I had the instrument compelling me where to go, but I had to learn the hard way. Maybe sometimes you have to learn the hard way too. 
Well, did you know that if you are a follower of Christ, at the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, God downloaded a spiritual GPS system in you in the form of Himself? That at the moment you received Christ, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the function of the Holy Spirit is multifold in our lives. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us, to counsel us, to confront us, to convict us of sin, and to guide us along the way. Most of all, the Holy Spirit dwelling within the, the lives of believers takes this Word, this holy and inerrant Word, and appropriates it right in our life, right where it needs to be. So the Holy Spirit will apply God's Word in my life, in my unique situation, and tell me which way to go. Do any of you ever argue with the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll say that sometimes I do. And it's not that I think I know better than God. It's just that in this moment, I feel like I might know better than God. And I recognize that that's sinful. And I recognize that that's wrong. But maybe you join me in occasionally having an incorrect idea. And so, yes, I know the Holy Spirit is directing me in this way, but my flesh is telling me to go in this way, but the Holy Spirit is telling me to go in this way, and my flesh is telling me to go in this way, and I wish I could tell you that I have always gone the direction of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I've gone the direction of my flesh. And you know what that turned out to be? Learning the hard way. How many of you have ever had to learn a lesson the hard way? The Christian life is a life of struggling with sin. And that may sound counterintuitive to you. Before we come to Christ, we don't struggle with sin at all. But once we come to Christ, we struggle with sin. You say, well, that doesn't really make sense. I thought we sinned more before we came to Christ. We did, but that was just our lifestyle. We didn't struggle with sin. We just sinned and got whatever fleeting enjoyment we could get out of the sin until the consequences caught up with us. I was talking with a doctor just this weekend, and he said, the students are back in town, and I'm starting to see some people roll into the emergency room who are facing the consequences of their decisions. And they're okay, but they've had some rough times because they've chosen, right? Before we come to Christ, all we do is sin. That's just our life. But once we come to Christ and the Holy Spirit is given to us, we have the Holy Spirit, which my pastor in college referred to as the hound of heaven, reminding us constantly, you're going the wrong way, 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 turn to God's way, turn to God's way, turn to God's way. And sometimes, just like I was in Owensboro the other night, we feel like we know better. And it could or could not be detrimental to our journey in that moment, but at the very least, we're going to learn a lesson the hard way. One of my favorite pastors, a guy named Tommy Nelson, who ministers down in Texas, said it this way, it's not that Christians are sinless, but Christians sin less and feel worse about it when we do. That's the Christian life. It's not that we're sinless, but we sin less than we used to, and we feel worse about it when we do. Well, the theme of today's message that will lead us to the Lord's table is this. By faith, we struggle with sin. And I want you to see that that struggling is a good thing. That struggling with sin is evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So look with me at James chapter 1. We're going to look today at verses 12 through 18, and I want to walk through this 
and see what it is to struggle with sin. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, writes these things as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Our first point today is this. By faith, we trust God. By faith, we trust God. And here's why. This is going to go quick today. Here's why we trust God. Because he has promised to everyone who has received Christ the crown of life. And do you know what that means? That means that whatever struggle you're facing in your life will not define you forever. Whether that struggle is with sin or that struggle is with illness or that struggle is with relational tension, whatever that struggle is, it will not define you for the rest of your life. Not even death itself will define eternity. Jesus will. So we trust Him because He has promised us in Christ a crown of life. But now look what else he says, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our second point this morning, by faith we fight temptation. By faith we fight temptation. Listen, God tests us. There's evidence of that throughout the Scriptures. He tested Abraham. He tested Israel. He tested Hezekiah. He tested Job. He tests our hearts. But God never tempts us. There's a difference. And the difference is stated very well by John Phillips in his exploring the epistle of James. He says, the whole of God's nature militates against sin. It would never occur to him to tempt anyone. Testings often come from him, but temptations do not. Listen to this. God tests us to bring out the good. Satan tempts us to bring out the bad. That's the difference. God tests us to draw the good out. Satan tempts us to seek to get us to turn against God, to bring out the bad. So God will never tempt you. Now, like Job, God might allow you to be tempted by Satan, and that would be a test. How will you respond? And here's what Satan's going to do. Think about fishing. Some of you like to fish. Think about that little lure that is thrown out, that shiny little flashy lure. The lure itself doesn't cause the fish to die, but the lure itself takes the fish's desire and compels the fish to take the lure, and what awaits? Death. That's what Satan does. So you can't just say, the devil made me do it. What's he going to do? He's going to put the lure in front of you. And your sinful desire will say, I want that thing. And what happens? He lays out the lure, you go to the lure, you take it, and what happens? Sin and death emerge. But the Holy Spirit within us calls us to go another way. Here's why. Because God is different. 
God is different. His character is different. Look with me at verse 16. Do not be, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. The last point, point number three, is the same as the first. By faith, we trust God. By faith, we trust God. God, God's goodness emanates from Him and comes to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him to us. God tests us to bring the good out of us. God works all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Satan seeks only to steal and kill and destroy. God has come to bring life. So we've seen the mechanism whereby Satan tempts us. Now let's celebrate the mechanism whereby God gives us life. I want to invite Mike Jones and Rick Mater to join me at the table. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus was gathered in the upper room with his disciples. And he was going to share with them a sacred meal that they wouldn't understand. He was going to share with them the Passover meal, a Seder. And they wouldn't understand that it would have further significance than it did on every other night. The Bible tells us that during that meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. What he was communicating to them was that though they understood the meaning of the Passover lamb, there was a greater sacrifice to come. They had to slaughter the Passover lamb every year. They had to slaughter the goats for Yom Kippur every year because they kept sinning every year. But Jesus was going to perform a sacrifice that would be once for all. He would lay down his body to be broken for them. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in this room, you're invited to participate in this supper with us. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ outside of this room, many of you have elements at home that our deacons have delivered to you. We invite you to celebrate this with us. If you are not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to come to Christ now and to celebrate with us. But Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. We were sinful. He was not. And he would lay himself down for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come now to this table, as we take up this piece of bread, we pray that you would bless it so that through it we might remember the price you paid for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. As our deacons distribute the elements to you, we would invite you to take a piece of bread and hold it. We will all eat together. Let's worship. This bread is a symbol. It's a symbol to remind us of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ 
which was broken for us. Believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take, eat, and remember. The Bible tells us that after the supper, he took the cup. This was a special cup, the cup of redemption. But again, he magnified its meaning, for this cup would come to symbolize so much more. It would come to symbolize the redemption that is in the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we prepare to receive the cup, we recognize, Lord, that this symbol calls us to think of your blood shed on an old rugged cross for us. We ask, Lord, that you would bless it and buy it to help us to remember the great price that you paid for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, as our deacons distribute the element, we invite you to take it and hold it, and we will all partake together. We began our service with a familiar tune, Jesus loves me, this I know. This cup reminds us of the proof that Jesus loves us. O oh, believer in Christ, take, drink, and remember. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let us, bolstered by faith, live in the abundance our God offers. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.